Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. COO Alliance member and Title Alliance's Chief Strategy Officer, Lindsay Smith. Lindsay's emphasis is on overall growth, communication, and strategic development from both a corporate and joint venture perspective. As one of the culture drivers in the organization, Lindsay has an integral role in creating recruitment and retention strategies, providing an environment that recognizes the team members as both employees and as humans with families outside of the office. On the growth side, Lindsay works closely with partners during the sales cycle to assure cultural alignment with the proper expectations being set and executed upon. Since 2016, Title Alliance's Western division has increased by over 700% in profits due to Lindsay's leadership. She's an inspirational leader that inspires and focuses on goal setting, personal growth opportunities, and has a strong attention to detail with standards of excellence present in all events, meetings, and client gatherings. Lindsay's a mother to three children, an alumni member of the Gamma Phi Beta Sorority, and a member of the COO Alliance. She's also a founding member of the GoBundance Women's Tribe and an exchange certified facilitator. Lindsay, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you so much for having me today, Cameron. I'm really excited. Awesome. Yeah, it's been great. You're um, you're one of the members from the CO Alliance who I've gotten to know pretty well just because um, you know, you've been to an in-person event and then you've also um, I, I got to coach you and Jim, your CEO, over a course of about a year as well. What was it that got you to open up in terms of coaching and development? Um, and then also in, in terms of wanting to join the CEO Alliance, then I'm going to go back into some of your career stuff. So what, what was it that you were looking for in terms of your growth? I've always believed that the best way to serve those in your community, whether it's your family or your organization, is through constant learning. So since I was a small child, learning has always been something that's important to me. And I believe it's always important to never be the smartest person in the room. And so I look for different facets of my life to be able to engage with, whether it's a physical trainer or it's a business coach or perhaps a communication mentor. But I like to work with different people that are going to give me different perspectives and different skill sets that I can then employ in what I do on a regular basis. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with all that too, especially the, the never being the smartest person in the room. What was it though that allowed you to open up, do you think, as um, you know, being vulnerable in your coaching calls when you're showing up on a coaching call with your CEO present as well? How were you able to do that? I think it's because we had a really solid relationship before we moved into a coaching relationship with you, Cameron. Um, I see EO and I have worked together for 18 years in all different capacities. So over time, we've generated a, a real bond and the ability to be vulnerable and have trust both inside of coaching calls and outside of coaching calls. So we put the work into the relationship before we moved into that environment. So it allowed that environment to feel really natural rather than one that might feel forced or one where there's judgment. How have you grown, do you think, in that period of time? Gosh, there's been a tremendous amount of growth that's happened over the, the course of time. Um, when I first came to the company, I was a project manager. So I really just did a lot of watching, a lot of listening, and was involved really to, to a small extent with my now CEO. And as we moved forward, or as I moved forward in my career and had opportunities to elevate, our relationship just became closer. 
Um, I would say, though, that really it wasn't until 2015 when he was appointed CEO or he was going to be appointed CEO at the end of that year. And we began exploring in Western expansion in Arizona that we really forged this relationship. And that came from really getting beaten up along the way. It was not easy to take an East Coast-based company and grow towards the West. And in order to do so, we would spend a week at a time on the road every single month. And when you have that much time on the clock and off the clock together, you're able to really have meaningful conversations, dive deep into what makes the other person move, figure out what the hot buttons are, where I'd like to stay away from. And when I see him acting a certain way or um, moving down a certain path, I've learned how to kind of pivot to figure out how to keep things moving forward from a momentum standpoint. But it definitely was the opportunity to expand, grow a new territory, and, and just have time together while we did that. What do you think um, you had to grow or how did you, you and, and Jim have to adapt your communication styles to deal with, you know, differings of opinion and, and even potential conflict along the way? I think a lot of it, Cameron, is about listening. So it was really important to listen and then understand why that was the, the statement that either he made or I made. And we learned over time that if we just took a moment to pause, hear what the other had to say, really process and try and understand their perspective, and then come at it from whatever our perspective was, rather than arguing or saying, you're wrong, I'm right. It was, I hear what you're saying, and have you considered this perspective? And when both of us learned to adopt that, it's allowed us to really just take conversations to the next level and ultimately position the company better for success. And how about regionally? Do you think that your style has had to adapt in different regions? I've talked to people who have done, you know, lots of work globally with companies that have global offices. Is there much of a difference when you're doing different regions within the U.S., do you think? Or are people fairly similar? I think people are fairly similar. What's different for us regionally is our East Coast division has been around since 1948. We have many, many team members who were here under a former leadership. And our West Coast division was built under our leadership from 2015 forward. So while the people are people, regardless of where they are in the country, the culture in which they were brought into Title Alliance has evolved over time. So that makes us have to address things slightly different because we've got to teach the East Coast to change and adapt to the new culture rather than sticking on and, and hanging to the culture that existed 1948 until 2015. Uh, and what about the people that are in that old legacy culture that just can't adapt or can't make the change? How do you, first, how do you try to get them to adapt? What are you trying to do to, to get them aligned? And then what happens if you can't get them to? I think the most important thing is to really focus on the core values. We just did a reset of our values last year to help with this, because what we realized is, although the culture changed, we had kept our core values the same. And trying to have a new culture with old core values was creating mixed signals and wasn't allowing us to move forward. So when we reset our core values, we made sure they were in alignment with the culture that we were building. And we really just start harping them throughout meetings. Uh, we'll talk about them. We'll highlight and recognize people who are exhibiting them. And we're really trying to coach and, and um, uplift our leaders so that our leaders can be the eyes and ears on the ground to help identify cultural champions and then highlight and showcase them within whatever geographical jurisdiction we're speaking of. What was the process that you went through in resetting core values? Well, it was probably a six week process that we went through to reset our core values. 
And it started with our executive leadership team. And we sat offsite and really thought about where do we want to be as a company? We looked at our vivid vision and we read it. And we said, if we're going to be this company, what are the things that are going to matter? And so everybody just spit fired and we had probably 30 or 40 different potential core values up on a wall. We knew we didn't want to go more than five. And so we really just kind of whittled down from there over the course of six weeks. We'd keep coming back to these core values and we'd look at them and we'd say, here's where we are. Do these still feel right or do we have to make any changes? And so the end product was, you know, really the genesis of lots and lots of conversations that then we pushed out to the teams in the field. And where did you net out? What are your final core values? Embrace positivity, get it done, do what's right, have an attitude of gratitude and make people happy. All right. So one of the things I really love about you and, and what you talk about is you, you, you don't just kind of pontificate about what should happen. You actually live it because you talked about a number of things about culture. You talked about resetting the core values and that you communicate them all the time. You mention them all the time. You celebrate them a lot. And then I asked you what your core values are and boom, you rattle them off five. They're clear. They're easy to understand. They don't need any explanation. I've asked so many executives over the years what their core values are and they stumble over them. I asked one the other day what their core values were. And she said, let me just look them up. I'm like, wait, like, how can they possibly be core values if you need to look them up? Do you work with the whole company on this as well? Like, do you really push, you know, all of the members of your team to know the core values and to, you know, be able to rattle them off like we used to the Greek, Greek alphabet? We do have the Greek alphabet. My goodness gracious, those days, I don't know that I could do that today. Um, but yes, we do. When we first identified our core values, we pushed them out to our team in a series of emails. The first one shared what all of our core values were and why we felt the need to reset them to move us towards our vision. And then we went into each core value in depth and we talked about the behavior that we expected people to portray um, when they were living out that core value. We also have a, a site where our team members are able to nominate people for acting in core value. We talk mm -hmm. about them in our meetings. It was important for us to have a visual as well, Cameron. So what we did was we sent a canvas print to every one of our offices with a really cool graphic showing our core values. And when we have our teams together for uh, meetings, we had one at the in Phoenix in October. We actually put our core values. We wrapped the poles around the pool in our core value. We covered the tile floor so they really couldn't go anywhere without seeing or feeling a core value. And then we delivered all of our new hires um, a welcome box. And one of the items in there is a slate coaster that has our core values on it so they can keep that right on their individual desk. I love that. I love the slate coaster with the core values on it. That's so powerful. Um, God, it's so simple. I, I'm actually going to do that. I really, 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 really like that. Um, all right. Sorry. I'm scribbling that one down as an idea. I'm going to lift that one from you. We're going to get those done for CO Alliance members and also for my team. So I think that's really solid. It's just such an easy thing to have right in front of people and it works and it's usable. It's functional. It's funny that so many companies kind of poo poo the whole core values things like, oh yeah, we've got core values and they don't live them. They don't, you know, enforce them. What was it that made you as a company latch on to the power of it and to you know, decide to actually really do it versus just talk about it? The reality is we set a vivid vision. And when we set our vision, we know exactly what we want our company to look and feel like. And what we know knew 
was that our old values were not going to push us forward. They were nondescript. They didn't have emotion behind them. And they didn't carry the culture that we were trying to build as an organization. So for us, it was really important to embrace the core values and use them to be the change. We talked a little bit ago about how we have a, a division that's been around since 1948, a division since 2015, and we had to figure out how to bridge the two together and how to start making there be one company rather than what felt like two separate companies. And mm. so we thought the best way to do that was to have unified values so that whether you were in Alaska or you were in Florida, you had the same expectation and the same understanding as to who Title Alliance was and what we stood for. And do you think you are unified now? I think we're closer. I'd be lying if I said everything was perfect right now, but I do think that we're closer. And it's interesting. I had a call with one of our leaders this morning in Indiana, and she was talking about a difficult conversation she had to say, had to share with a team member. And she said, I didn't know what to do or how to start. So I said, let's have a review of your core values. Let's look at you and Title Alliance's core values and see how you feel you stack up on each one of them. So some people are listening because that wasn't something she was directed to do. That's how she chose to frame the conversation. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I like that you guys are re recognizing that it's also kind of a work in progress and a forever march. It's not like it's a one and done. It's something that's constantly being reinforced. So you also mentioned culture a few times and culture being um, kind of, I guess, critical and, and a focus for you. Curious where culture, um, you know, what the culture is that you're trying to design and, and what culture or why the focus on culture is so important to the company, to Title Alliance. Culture is critical because you spend more time in your office than you do outside of the office. And you have, as leaders, we have the ability to create an environment and a culture that people want to be at and feel fulfilled and feel that they're thriving in or to not do that. And so for us, it was really important to focus on creating an environment where people were positive, were grateful, and had all these just uplifting things around them. And what we believe will happen is they'll feel more fulfilled, the work product will be better, and we'll be able to continue to grow and to expand. So for us, culture is the feeling, the way our employees feel, and the way when we bring in our partners to our relationships that they can actually see that we're living and see that they're, um, just make sure that they're in alignment. If they're going to come in and be negative Nellies, we're not going to be a good fit for them and vice versa. And you're in part of what you've been doing, I guess, in kind of transitioning this legacy company and this, the newer business and moving the two together, you mentioned you've got a company that was started in 1948. I imagine you had a number of team members there that over the years had to be replaced. How is it that you go about replacing people that have just been there for so long, but they're just not the right fit for the future? How do you do that? How do you do it well? Certainly. It certainly isn't easy to do. Um, the challenge is, as you, know, as you mentioned in the beginning, I, I believe people are people and they're human. They have a life outside of the office. So it's really looking at the whole picture um, what we've been working through is really trying to identify core components of an individual's job, not a job description, but the core competencies that they have to be able to be proficient in. And that's ebbed and flowed over the years. So what a, a closer needed to do in you know, 1980 is different than what a closer needs to do today. There's a higher technology component than there used to be. So we'll have conversations with people to talk about how, hey, what used to work isn't going to work. So we can either train you and grow your skills to move you into this role. And if at some point in time, 
we're not able to get you there, then we have to determine, is there another role in the organization that does suit your skills? If not, we'll help transition them out of the organization to find something that's more aligned with where they're going to thrive. The last thing we want to do is put anybody in a position where they themselves are not going to be able to thrive because of lack of skill set. You know, Jim Collins in Good to Great talks about getting the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus, and everybody in the right seats. And you rarely hear people talk about, you know, is there another role they'd be a better fit in? Can you give me an example of a time when, when you had someone specifically that was in the wrong seat and you found a better role for them and they've excelled and how that went? Certainly. We had um, a person in one of our Pennsylvania offices who was a settlement agent. They were sitting at the table and their people skills were a little bit less than stellar. But what they're technically competent at is the back end, working through the, the compliance on the files, identifying uh, where funds need to go, following up on inheritance taxes and things along those lines. So we removed them from working on the table and put them in a position where they're still using their skills, which is the deep, deep, deep title and escrow knowledge, but they're not having to interface with the clients, which is where they were lacking. Yeah, it's amazing when, you know, we often talk about if someone's not doing well to train them or coach them, but often if we just put them into the right seat, there's no training or coaching that's necessary, right? They just thrive in that new role that we get them into. I had someone years ago that was working in our call center and wasn't doing great in the call center and he was okay. And I just said, you know, where would you love to be in the company? He said, oh, I'd love to work in finance. I'm like, finance? Like you're in the call center. Why finance? He goes, I'm an accounting major. I just, I'm only working in the call center to pay for my school. I'm in accounting. So I'd, anyway, we told him there was a payroll clerk open and he jumped all over it. And sure enough, just took off in his career in accounting. It was amazing. I think so many times people just need the opportunity and the permission they feel like I'm in this role and if I'm not doing this job, then I'm a bad person or I'm a bad fit or I just have to keep trying harder so that I can succeed. And I think that it, our job as leaders is to really help them understand that you're not a bad person and you're not a bad worker. You just don't have the right skills necessary to perform this job. The business have you released yourself from? You know, what areas of the business have you just said, I'm just not going to be any good at this. I may as well delegate it or not do it. Yeah, so I'm great with um, big picture and vision and people and culture. Where I'm not great is the compliance, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. So I have people that I've delegated that work to or divisions that handle those functions and then give me a roll up to say, here's the five things or the three things that you need to know that happen. Um, so that certainly is one piece. And the other piece is from an operational standpoint. I'm not going to get into the weeds and actually do the work. I'm going to help set the vision and I'm going to help people understand what it is that needs to be accomplished. And I'm going to share with them my perspective and my view on whatever's happening. And then I've got a team of leaders that really dives in deep to figure out, well, what's broken that's causing the vision to not come to fruition. And then they'll come back up to me with that. Yeah. How do you not get sucked down into the weeds? How do you not get pulled into you know, doing the work or solving the problem or fixing it or, or putting the system in place? How do you, how do you stay above that? I have a sign in front of my desk that says raising and empowering leaders. And I think it's really important that I'm giving the permission and the authority to the team members and that they have, know that they have the permission and the authority to give it to the level below them and so forth so that the decisions can be made at the lowest level possible it's not easy because sometimes I want to say, Cameron, I know the answer. I don't know why this is taking so long. Let's just do A, B, C, and D. 
but I've learned that patience certainly is a virtue. Um, it's also a gift and it's something that you have to work really hard at. And sometimes it means going a little bit slower to ultimately give yourself the leverage and set those boundaries you need so that I don't have to be the one in the weeds. Yeah, that's great. Um, it, it, it's so hard because there's so many different business areas that we can kind of get sucked into as well. How do you balance your time? How do you organize your time? Like what specifically do you do to, you know, be the most productive? <clears throat> I'm on the road between 50 and 60% of the time. So I know that for the most part, when I'm on the road, I'm not available to deal with the fires and the problems that are existing in the offices. I'm visiting our clients, I'm visiting our team members, and I'm working through opportunities for us to grow and scale. So when I am in the office, I'm really purposeful in terms of how I spend my day and who I'm having conversations with. I have meetings with my direct reports on a regular basis where I'm checking in with them to find out what it is that they need and what is stopping them from being able to be success, successful rather to help them remove those roadblocks. And then I'll look at my calendar and I, I look to say, well, what can I do that's going to be the most impactful to either the business or to the culture or to the growth? And I'll just start whittling tasks down from that perspective. And do you like being on the road that much? Or is it something you're trying to work on to, you know, change that? How's that fit? I love being on the road as much as I'm on the road. It allows me to connect with our partners. It allows me to connect with our employees. And it really allows me to work through the cultural aspects of the organization. Sitting in an office is fine, but I see the immediate corporate team. We're in 13 different states, five different time zones, 280 employees. And so if I just spend time with the 30 people that are in my office right here, that's all well and good and they'd have a great culture. But what about the other 250 employees? Mm. So for me and for our business, it's important that I am on the road. So it sounds like you've done a good job at, at saying no to taking on more work or saying no to getting sucked back into the day-to-day -day and keeping focused on what matters. Have you learned or how have you learned how to say no to the CEO or how to say not now to the CEO? It's all a work in progress. I can say that it's only of recent times that I've been able to say no to the work because I'm really building the right organizational structure. And that was a big missing hole in our organization. We had what worked then, but not necessarily what worked now. And so we had to reinvent that leadership framework and the different divisions to make sure that the right people were in the right seats and had the right responsibilities. That has been what's allowed me to start saying no to things because my mm. team knows that they need to protect me and insulate me. With my CEO, um, it's a little bit more challenging. It's, it certainly is a little bit more challenging to say no to him or no, not right now. But normally we're able to have a conversation again because of the relationship that we've built from a trust perspective where I can say, I'd love to do that, but it is unrealistic that it's going to happen right now. Uh, we usually laugh back and forth and he'll say, well, it can't happen now. Can it happen in 10 minutes? And he just knows that sometimes he'll get a look from me and that look means it can't happen in 10 minutes. And Lindsay will let me know when it will get done. That's great. Yeah, I love that you've learned the art of that communication. Um, can, what's the size of Title Alliance? I mean, you mentioned that you're in five time zones in 13 states, and I, I think we get some perspective, but how many employees do you have in the, in the organization ballpark? 280 employees. Yeah, it's a real business. 280 employees, lots of moving parts. Um, there's, there's a lot of complexity in there. How many employees were in the company when you joined it? 
Gosh, when I joined the company, there were probably, oh my goodness. I'm going to say there were probably about 90 employees. Okay. So it's, it's, it's really, you know, three times bigger than it was when you joined. What's changed in the organization or how have you had to adapt and change as the company has scaled? I think the biggest thing is from a geographical standpoint, we were in Pennsylvania. That was primarily where we were. Um, and since, you know, I joined the organization, we've expanded to Ohio, Indiana, Virginia, Florida, Arizona, New Mexico, Idaho, Washington, Nevada, and Alaska. And so that really has been interesting to, to really teach people to understand me being on the road. I understand their different time zones and they have different expectations and there's different cultural nuances in terms of how title and escrow are done on the West coast versus the East coast that I had to really help our teams to understand. Uh, we had a lot of learning curves ourselves. The wire department needed to be mindful that even though the fed closes at a certain time, there's still after hours things that need to be done for our West Coast division to make sure that things are set and ready to populate first thing in the morning. So we had to identify from our support staff some split shifts where people weren't just working traditional nine to five hours. Um, we also had to teach different terminology. In the West, it's an escrow and title. They're both separate. In the East, everything is all in one and they just call it title services. Mm. So it was really just working through teaching people that there could be different names for things, but really at the end of the day, they're the same thing. Now you went through, um, it wasn't really an acquisition. Did you sell off part of the company or how, what, what happened a couple of years ago or a year ago? Yeah, so we, we did. So a year ago we were um, brought on uh, Tempo Title as a strategic business partner. And then in October, of this past year, 2021, we were uh, Tempo Title was acquired by Acrisure. So we are now part of the Acrisure real estate division. And what did that mean for the company? What changed? Honest to goodness, we've got more resources available to us, but nothing's changed. We're still Title Alliance. We're still branded as Title Alliance. We still are able to set up the companies that we set up and structure them and have our culture. And that was one of the things that was really important as Jim was evaluating whether this is going to be a good fit or not. We had to still be able to be us because if somebody wanted to acquire us to make us be them, then it wasn't going to be a good fit. It wasn't going to align with our vision and certainly wasn't going to align with our culture or be best for our team. Makes sense. All right. So we understand the scope of the business. You've also talked a couple of times about the, the life outside of the office, that employees have a life outside of the office. And I rarely, again, hear that. You know, I, I've talked about that none of this actually matters, that we're all going to die. And, you know, this is just what we do to make money. So, um, and that, you know, we're all struggling with something, I'm sure. It, so what does the whole, there's life outside of the office mean? And how do you help employees to get it and to, you know, connect on that? And, and how does that change your, your company? One of the things um, that became apparent in COVID is that people like to work from home. And it's something that the settle, real estate settlement services industry isn't 100% there yet because everything still requires wet signatures to be done in office. But during that time, I really just stepped back and said, what's important to people and what's important to people is their family. So I developed a program where four times per year, we're going to send gift boxes out to all of our team members. But what's important in those boxes is that those boxes are meant to create an experience for their family. So they're all personalized with their names or their initials for themselves or for their entire family members, depending on what it is. 
in the summer of last year, we sent out boxes with um, a luau in a box. Everybody had an embroidered towel with their initials in it. So I'd have uh, one for, you know, the employee, one for their spouse and one for each one of their children. We sent bottles of vodka so that they could make their own daiquiris. Um, there were flowered lays and recipes and everything that they needed skewers to, you know, use on the barbecue. But we try and create experiences and just remind them that, yes, you're going to be in work a lot, but when you're home, we want you to create an experience, something with your family that you can really just enjoy and be present in the moment. Experience is my favorite word by far in the English and probably every other language. Mm. Um, and so it's just really important that I figure out how do I create out-of-the-box experiences that are really easy for our teams to execute so that they can savor that time that they're at home. That's really cool. I love that you do that. I'm I'm so locking in that area. I think that I'm so left brain and so kind of focused at times that I miss the opportunity to create some of those experiences and some of that fun. I think I'd love to be able to bring some more of that into the CO Alliance, especially at our um, at our in-person events, but but for sure in some of the online events. Where do you think the role of the CEO and COO are different? What 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 are the differences in those two? So I have the unique position in my organization where our roles are different, but there's a lot of overlap and there's a lot of redundancy in the things that we do. And then we surround ourselves by the right people to focus on some of the detail. But my job, I believe, is is the CSO in this case, is really to focus on listening, figuring out where there are gaps, and then having conversations with my CEO to say, hey, we're working towards this vision, but I heard that there's a gap here. So let's think about who the what or the, you know, can fix that gap to move things closer to where we're trying to get them as an organization. Um, so that's where I would say it's probably the biggest, the biggest difference. He's high level and I'm high level, a little bit below him, but I'm really listening on the ground to identify gaps and opportunities. What stresses you out or what frustrates you in the day to day? I'm certainly frustrated when people disappoint. I pour so much into um, our team members and to our partners. And when you pour and you pour and you pour and somebody lets you down or disappoints, it's something that I get really frustrated with and struggle because I don't know that people understand the level to which we really do care as an organization. The other thing that really makes me crazy is when things happen too slowly. I want them to happen quickly and I want to be able to move us forward. Um, as I mentioned, I oftentimes see what the answer needs to be. And I've taught myself through coaching over the last several years that that's okay that I see it and it's okay if it goes slower, if it's going to give our team members an opportunity to grow their skill sets and be able to implement something. I need to be patient and know instead of getting there tomorrow, maybe it'll be a day after tomorrow. Have you got a couple of areas that you work with with employees on or work with leaders on? Have you got a couple of skill areas that are your kind of... Um pet projects or the ones you care about more than others? With our employees, it's really focusing on the core values and making certain that they understand that they're not just words on paper, but they're words that they're meant to live by. Uh, So that's number one that I work with all of our team members on. The second is trying to really teach them what a business looks like. Many of the people in the settlement services industry, they're great technicians, but they don't understand the business side of things. And so it's important that I'm teaching them to understand that decision A was made because of the impact it has on the business. And it's not because I don't care about you as a human, but because the business doesn't work if we don't do this 
particular item. All right, let's go back to the, um, the the time during COVID. I mean, your business has been built around these relationships and experiences and spending time in the offices and travel with the different offices. What did you do as a company during COVID to adapt through that? Or did you just power on and travel anyway? Yeah, it was tough. Um, I'd say from March of 2020 until November of 2020, we maintained all relationships via Zoom. And what I learned is that relationships that were really strong and had a lot of credit in the bank and had these really deep experiences that we had created over the course of our relationship, they were easy to maintain. But those that were shaky or those that we hadn't poured into as much were not able to be as strong during COVID. The Zoom didn't allow for us to continue to build that relationship. Mm. Um, I learned it's really challenging to launch a brand new business in a brand new state during COVID. That was that was certainly a fun lesson. I tried to do two of them. Um, needless to say, they're now both up and running. But it was a it, it was a long road to get there. How do you know when you've launched something and it's time to shut it down? Whether it's a business or a project or a new hire that's the wrong person, like how do you how do you decide when it's wrong? I think you have to have a set of mutual expectations, whether it's with a business partner or a team member. I expect X to happen by Y. Um, Maybe it doesn't happen by Y, but you're making steps and you're moving forward. But if you're continually missing the mark and not moving forward and not closing the gap, then that's when it's really time to say, is this right for you? Is this right for me? Does it work with us together? Um, Maybe there's an opportunity to reset whether it's the way you communicate with somebody or the business projections that you've put together, but it's really just setting those expectations and then checking back in with those expectations to make sure that you're, you're meeting them or exceeding them, or at least making progress towards them. I love that. All right, let's go back to the 22 year old Lindsay Smith. You're just starting out in your career and you want to get some advice. What advice would you give the 22 year old that maybe, you know, it's to be true today, but you wish you'd known back then. It doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks about you. If you believe it and you believe you can do it, then you can work towards it. Super clean. Lindsay Smith, the Chief Strategy Officer for Title Alliance, member of the CO Alliance. Thank you so much for sharing with us today on the Second Command Podcast. Really appreciate the insights. Thanks so much for having me, Cameron. I appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you soon. That was great. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.